Halloween! Welcome to the 3MFA's Halloween special. I'm your host, Caleb John Cushing. Joining me are my two co-hosts, Josh Sturr and Brandon Kyle McPherson. What's up? What's up? Good morning! And we are joined by a very special guest. He is an actor. He's a writer. An academic. My co-worker at Film Review Daily, Mr. Chad Kinnerk. Woo! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Dude, thank you for being here. Seriously. Yeah. Been too long. Happy to. It has been too long. Uh, for the audience, Chad went to school with all of us as well. Uh, he was in our cohort and graduated in May of 2019 with us. The last time Fellow we were MFA-er. all truly happy. Yeah, we're all... We're, it's, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is four MFAers now. Four MFAers podcast yeah. for Halloween. <laughs> Which I guess We've technically been... when we had Marlon on, it was four MFAers as well and we didn't bring it up. So... <laughs> Now uh, we have sorry, to go Marlon. and redo that whole thing. Sorry, Marlon. <laughs> That's what happens. We, oh, we, you know, poor Marlon. Yeah, he really, yeah, really. Uh, Chad, what's been going on? <laughs> tell, tell the world about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I love celebrating classic film actors and highlighting their legacies. So I work with a, a couple different families, and like you mentioned, Caleb, um, write some film reviews for Film Review Daily. And October is always a busy month because um, I am lucky to be a part of Vincent Price's legacy. Um, A lot of people know him from Thriller and being the voiceover for that or as the voice of Radigan and the Great Mouse Detective. I feel like our generation knows one or both of those. Very underrated Um, movie. But he was actually so true. Very true. He had a long legacy, though, and uh, was born in St. Louis, Missouri, um, in 1911. And, um, yeah, he, um, he's actually the third Vincent Price. Um, his dad <laughs> was head of the National Candy Company, oh and God. his grandfather invented baking powder, of all things. So oh, they see. have kind of this culinary legacy, which I is mean, really that interesting. I mean, that kind of that makes sense. That makes sense because sure. he's such a fucking snack. Uh, possibly some family money there too, maybe. I don't know if you invented baking powder. That's so insane to right. think that well, he that... invented like the thing everybody uses for every meal. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, so he when he was born, yeah, his family was very well off, but they sort of went through this cycle of doing very well and then losing everything or losing lots of money. So it's kind of an interesting thing that carried over into his life and his career and later in life he was making you know lots of commercials and doing lots of things that maybe someone of his stature wouldn't normally do but he was always concerned about money actually yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense i think uh Mm. i mean that's the american dream right you make a lot of money and then you lose some money and then you make a lot of money uh that's so interesting that he came from like a legacy of of wealth i mean like we we see that a lot today like most people at that mm-hmm. at the level of those that they the heights they reach you know come from some sort of financial yeah. stability um yeah i, I and un- to, yeah, unlike today ahead. oh i was just gonna say unlike today actors of that generation also got that one paycheck and then never got any royalties after that oh my god um, so a lot of yeah so that's one of the big things with like classic film actors they have this huge rich legacy of all of these films that people know and love but the estate and the family doesn't really see that 
um, in the way that mm. actors get royalties and things today. Yeah. We also That's see so a larger resume yeah. because they had to keep working to get. Keep, yeah, that makes a lot of paid. sense now that he would you know? continue to make yeah. just garbage for decades. <laughs> You're not. He's not getting his like twenty mil a year for Friends. You know, it's it's so right. different then and now. That's like, so funny. Right. Like the Friends crew has uh, can pick exactly only the things that they want to do for the rest of their lives because they're sitting around getting $20 million a year. Yeah. Yeah, no residuals. Yeah, it's wild. And Vincent Price died in 93, so he didn't see Friends happen. So that at least he wasn't... <laughs> but no. I wonder what he no. would have thought <laughs> just at the fact that David Schwimmer was going to be like more wealthy than him forever. <laughs> That's so interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah, even with Thriller, like I, he got paid like chump change for Thriller, and when that exploded, never saw a dime from that. And, Damn, you know that obviously has gone on to become such a huge success. Well, I you guess, know what's funny? Uh, <laughs> I guess those kids weren't the only ones getting fucked by Michael Jackson. Oh, Am I wow. right? Oh, that happy Halloween for everybody. <laughs> Chad, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that. I'm sorry. I can. I couldn't help myself. Not be cutting that. <laughs> now we know Josh, who Kale really is. That. No, I'm just kidding. In fact, cut that. That's going viral. Sorry, Chad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> welcome to the Thunderdome, baby. What? Um, that's interesting because I actually just uh, Ryan and I just got done talking like a couple weeks ago just about um, Robin Williams and how much he got paid for mm. Aladdin uh, yeah, for the genie, for and he Disney. got completely fucked by Disney of like they wouldn't pay him his equal share of like you're using literally my image and my voice. It's, well, and it's not like only that, that you know? but he also like specifically requested that they don't use his likeness to advertise. And then they were like, yeah. well, fuck you. We're doing it anyway. And that's yeah. why he like was very vocally anti-Disney mm, and anti-Katzenberg. She was and, like specifically was like, please do not put my name on the poster. I want to make this movie for my kids and every all the other kids. And I don't want to. I want there to be a disconnect. And then they were like, sure. And the marketing came out and it's just. Robin Williams. Exactly. Fucking everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, mm. greasy. This greasy summer, movie. Robin Williams is a character who does impressions of people who don't exist yet from far in the future <laughs> uh but yeah chad that's super interesting i i kind of want to if it's okay pull back just a little bit i'm so curious how how you get involved with all these estates like i yeah. want i i would love to know how you like looked for those jobs got those jobs and what it's like to work because it's not just vincent price it's like lots of other people too that you work for right well i just saw a post too chad that someone had passed uh that you were working with or had known or had a connection networking with I'd yeah, Clark, I was talking a little bit with Clark Middleton. He's a, mm -hmm. a great character actor and has done lots of Broadway and film, and I was sad to see him pass away. But really, it's just my love of classic film and um, kind of doing a little research and figuring out you know, who is in, in charge of the estate and um, seeing if I can help. Mm -hmm. And it's really just starting a conversation that way. Yeah. So it's like very organic and you just like being a fucking hard yeah. worker. That's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, every, you know, everything that, that lines I'm, up, <laughs> everything that I'm doing now is basically just come as a result of um, years of just helping out and um, seeing what I can do because I'm passionate about continuing, you know, a legacy for, um, all the actors that came before us that kind of walked the path yeah, the and fight. left us a great body yeah. of work. I've really always yeah. admired that quality about you. When we were at school, mm. uh, 
you know, because we had we have like inside the actor's studio, right, which is like that's supposed to be the school doing that for us to get us into contact with these people. And like, I'm only going to speak for myself. Like, I definitely enjoyed having that experience to go. But like, you could tell by the time we got there, it was less like, let's look and talk to these amazing, amazing artists. And then it's more like, okay, who's got something to promote? Like, it's just another talk show. Mm -hmm. And so you went Mm -hmm. out on your own and was like, I'm going to get Frank Oz to the, come to this school and talk about <laughs> being fucking Frank Oz. And I just thought that was so cool because, I, I mean, unless I'm wrong, I feel like nobody asked you to do that. You just did it, and that's so great. I did, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did kind of just do that. That's so awesome. Yeah, Onik, well, they, that stuff's awesome. Yeah. Because he's the man. He's oh, yeah, did were... you, did, did you yeah. get any uh, res- resistance uh, towards that from the school or anything? So I didn't really involve... I did it kind of separately from the actor studio. They um, Schimmel used to have uh, Schimmel presents series and they always did a big Halloween event for the undergraduate students. And they were screening the director's cut of little shop of horrors, Mm. um, which is the better version by the way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um, It has this whole sequence at the end where the plants just destroy everything. Um, But I had been connected with um, Frank's son and he was actually getting his degree at Yale at the same time. And I was like, Oh, this would be great. How cool would it be for Frank to come in and talk about the film? It's such a, the Schimmel is such a great theater and venue. So Mm -hmm. I just, I just thought I'd give it a shot and miraculously it all came together. Um, they they loved the idea because it you know they were selling tickets for outside of pace to the general public, mm-hmm. um, so we pretty much you know sold out the five hundred seats. So that was Whoa. really That's awesome. Great. Yeah, but a little surreal. I mean, I feel like uh, <laughs> the experience we had just in the program and in New York, um, you, when you're sitting next to Frank Oz watching <laughs> his baby, like really his solo directorial debut. And you just are kind of like, what? Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's definitely, uh, I'd say almost like a couple of handfuls of those moments from our time at school that you just like look back and you're like, wait, what? Like, uh, you know, obviously Bradley Cooper when he came in, uh, that was yeah. a very different yeah, experience. Yeah, watching our it friend give Bradley Cooper a bag of rocks really like <laughs> cemented like, oh, is this real life for me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just like what is going on? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a handful of those moments. Yeah, very surreal. <laughs> what is your um, also? What's your experience with like meeting these these actors or meeting these these people who like we only know in name? He said, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like the school and getting like that, you know, figured out. Is it like also trying to contact that the 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 Frank? You know, and being like, hey, do you would you be willing to do this? You know, has there any in your experience in terms of trying to reach out to people and network and get involved? You know, has there been any pushback or any? I don't know. Yeah, I feel like no, not really. Um, it's it's interesting because I feel like uh, directors or people who are somewhat are huge um, sources of all the things we love in the industry, but are maybe not as much in the spotlight as, you know, an Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt or somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they're a lot more accessible, I think, than people realize, especially in New York. I feel like New York is a place where um, you're able to network in a way that you really can't anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's such a small community and someone usually knows someone else. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just having a project that is that you're in it for just the sake of the project itself. And it has a lot of heart behind it. And if it's something that they see that in you and in the project that they're much more willing to have a conversation and you can, you know, start a conversation that way. I mean, there's lots of projects I've tried that haven't gone anywhere too. It's just the, the ones that, that do are so cool when that door actually does open. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true because it is, it's, it is a massive door when it opens, right? And then you're, you know, in with that person and it's a, a relationship. Yeah. Which is but, yeah. but of course amazing. now we got to know, I mean, biggest bummer. Ooh. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So I tried, uh, so after the Little Shop of Horrors event, uh-huh. um, I had a connection with Tina Fey <gasps> and I was, I was trying to set something up for the next Halloween because mean girls. of Mean Girls being on Broadway October 3rd and all that stuff. Um, and it was the anniversary of the film. So oh, I was yeah. like, oh, there's lots of things right. lining up. There's lots of things lining up here. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we were able to do a screening of that, have her come, maybe some of the cast from the either the film or the Broadway show come and talk about what they do <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so that that didn't happen, but um, uh, that would have been. They cool, ended man. up doing doing. Yeah, I know they ended up doing some other really cool stuff and fundraisers and things. So, yeah, Tina was like, "I'm no, I'm I'm good. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go keep rewatching well, Thirty Rock." Yeah, it's it's crazy because it's I don't even know that it was so much Tina as like the all of the you know, every Broadway show is such a big conglomerate of people Mm. and producers and everything. So when you have a film that's turned into a stage show, that property then takes this whole other aspect of like the marketing and publicity around that Mm -hmm. show. And how is this event that's related to the film going to affect and what else is being done and the competition of multiple events. And so it just becomes this huge, huge uphill battle. Yeah. But I think I think at that time too they were talking about doing like another Mean Girls movie because like the show like the Broadway show seemed like it was mm. gonna be so successful as well. So there's like so much like you're mm. saying so much stuff going on in the market. Uh, have, yeah. have you guys not seen Mean Girls yeah. too? No, but that was before. <laughs> I, thought, I think they were talking about doing another. But one. have you seen it? Because I yes it's I have seen dog it. Dog shit. Of course, it's I've seen like it. one of the worst things I've yeah, ever seen in my life. But anyway, sorry. Is it though? We've, no, uh, it, like it like really is DVD. awful. <laughs> yeah. Like I would I, I would say it's even worse than The Dark Tower. Whoa, right here, right here. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Hottie or the Naughty for sure. No, I, it's definitely oh. worse than Hottie and the Naughty, and it might also be worse than Dark Tower. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but sorry, Chad, Chad, this is a little inside, inside sorry, 3 MFA uh, humor, sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Chad, what is the, then what is, like, you're working for these estates, you've, you've, you're very, you're so much of a hustler and go-getter in terms of programming and things like that and giving back, like, do you want to ultimately produce do you want to like I, I you know you're an actor i know you love acting and stuff like that and you're brilliant i was very fortunate enough to direct you uh for your thesis and yeah. um breaking up bread but like is there is there like a like kind of an itch that you have for this kind of producer you know planner type of role in these in these organizations and 
you know, future projects and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to one day like have my own company where I can kind of manage lots of different estates um, and make it more of a boutique. There are some big, huge companies that do that, but it's always so impersonal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you look at the Instagrams of those, those actors that the company is doing, they don't know those actors at all. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's something that I'd love to do on a more kind of intimate, personal scale um, where I can be really actively engaged and involved. Yeah. But I want to wear all the hats. I've always said that I would love to produce and direct and obviously act and write and, you know, wherever creativity takes me, I guess. Yeah. I think that's great. And you, and you definitely seem to be a self motivator, self starter. I've, I have no doubt that you'll achieve everything that you want at any day now. (laughs) I think it's awesome, man. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Now, let's shift focus to someone who, I guess, someone else who uh, did uh, wore all the hats, uh, Mr. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us about the film, Chad. Yeah, what did you have us watch today? Yeah. For today? Yes. So, I brought to the table The Mask of the Red Death, mm-hmm. um, which is a 1964 Edgar Allan Poe adaptation by Roger Corman, starring Vincent Price. And it's actually a series, a cycle of Poe films that Roger Corman started. He had the idea in 1960 of doing a cycle of Edgar Allan Poe stories on film. So he started with, in 1960, with The Fall of the House of Usher. And this is actually the seventh film in the series. Uh, He wanted to, (laughs) the seventh, yeah. Wow. He wanted to do The Mask of the Red Death second, but it was pretty close to, um, in some of the themes, similar to The Seventh Seal, seal The yeah. Seventh Seal, yeah, the Ingmar Bergman film. So he decided to do Pit and the Pendulum second and then came back to it later on, which was actually a huge benefit for the film because fall of the house of usher was a huge success they made that in 15 days on a really tight budget whoa and then it made like <laughs> yeah yeah so and then fast it made turnaround really fast and then it made like two million dollars in 1960 so a, a crazy amount of money in terms of profit for the cost of the film um, so by the time they got to the seventh film they had a little more time, a little bigger budget. The last two were shot at Elstree in England, the studios there, mm-hmm. um, where the first Star Wars was shot. Um, and so everything there was a little more relaxed. They had access to all of the studio's um, sets that were in their storage, and they were able to pull set pieces that were left over from uh, a man for all seasons and Beckett. <laughs> so they had these huge, like incredible set pieces that they never would have been able to construct and, and afford to build in the U S um, which you can see in this film. Yeah. I mean, it's such a palatial the, set. This, the set is, is really the, one of the things that jumped out to me the most is a very, very encompassing in the film and setting the tone of the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's straight mm-hmm. vibes only. Yeah. 
That is interesting because I like the seventh seal was like the biggest point of reference for me when I was watching it. I was like in Mm. concept, Mm -hmm. in look, like not even just the Mm -hmm. fact that it's a plague, but like you have, you know, in seventh seal, you have him playing chess with personified death and there's all these people wearing masks that are kind of interacting with the populace. Uh, It's obviously set during a time of um, monarchy. Uh, and uh, I also was reminded of, I know that this film came out almost a decade earlier, but um, I was reminded of Salo a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Uh, it's, it takes place in Italy oh, where, right. like, with aristocrats just like really torturing and of the peasants. Like, you know, you had Vincent Price kind of like, just, you know, he could just look at somebody and be like, be an animal or like, you know, he would torture people for fun. And <laughs> yeah. just, it, it, I got some, uh, right. some fucking gross vibes from that, but that's a conversation oh, yeah. from a different day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, just speaking of, of him in it, I find the most interesting part of his himself or even actors at that time, that very specific, not British, but Shakespearean accent that they're doing. Mm. At the it's like time, the Mid-Atlantic, right? Or like whatever the... Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so interesting. Yeah. And it just is a character in of itself, you know? Well, I, right. I found... Right. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Chad. I was just going to say, yeah, so in the studio days in, um, I would say, like, you're talking 1920s to 1960s, mm-hmm. the transatlantic accent was actually taught mm-hmm. to actors. And, so um, weird. And, then, and then Vincent Price kind of had his own thing um, coming from... Uh, more aristocratic St. Louis, they, they had, um, this bit of a, a different accent, um, that kind of sounds British. And he was often, you know, called out for that. And he said, you know, I, I think I sound like Harry S. Truman. I don't, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's I don't like, I'm not trying accent. to be British. I'm trying Middle to be. Initial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, Vincent Price to me, like I, it's sort of what you were saying in the beginning, Chad. Like we have limited exposure, like nowadays. Uh, I I immediately think of Bill Hader on SNL. Like that's like what mm-hmm. I that's my reference for Vincent Price. But you're right. Like the Thriller right. video, and then you know Rat- <laughs> Radigan. Um, but he does have. He's yeah. one of those people that has a very um, distinct voice and mannerisms it's almost mm-hmm. nasally in a way and he's got that fucking john mm. waters mustache like it's he he's not i i right. don't see a character like i'm i'm watching vincent price and i'm and i'm fully cognizant that i'm watching an actor but the work that he's doing is still good like i don't think that's necessarily a knock against him i feel like the draw of this movie is like watch Vincent Price be a fucking sadist. Uh, and then a bunch of fucking crazy psychedelic shit's going to happen later. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm fully on board. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, I feel like out of the Poe series, this is definitely one of the most, if not the most sadistic character mm-hmm. that he's played um, within the Poe films. Um, Witchfinder general is probably the most, um, <laughs> sadistic creepy character that he played in his career but um yeah he always brings this element of like kind of winking to the camera of camp of oh yeah like we're having fun we're we're doing this big gothic mm. story but we're having fun doing it <laughs> but he's the only one like yeah. everyone else in that movie is horrified of everything that's going on <laughs> and he's yeah. like i i will take this crossbow and <laughs> like it's just fucking nuts but he's the man yeah. so it's all good yeah 
Well, I find it yeah. interesting. Like yeah. our our training is so like you know with like the method and Stanislavski and Strasberg type of stuff. It's so there's such an inner life and watching the movie from the '60s and knowing this like old Hollywood. I was kind of reminded of that kind of, I wouldn't say manufactured, but it was very, it wasn't as deep as like what we're taught now. I feel like there was a lot of like, I could see the screenplay as I was watching this movie. You know, it was very off Mm. the page. This is the movie, edit together, and then there you go, you know? And with that, it's like, when I say old Hollywood, it is that, it is that the liquid you and like the, the transatlantic and like the looks and the, and the hair and the, the costumes and the set pieces. Like I missed, I forgot how effective like actual set built set pieces are with like painted backdrops, mm. you know, like close set, right. like here it is. We're going to put a, a castle on a backdrop and it's, you know, with the voiceover and it's going to look great, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, I missed the, like, the actual craft of the time and the preparation. Cause a lot of people are either on set or on location or like in an actual apartment. There's not, there's still like the set dressing and the prop aspect of the filmmaking that is, takes a lot of energy. But like in terms of the, just the classic sense of it's almost theatrical, you know, like I felt this was very, mm-hmm. it was a theater, you know, film theater a little bit. Yeah. You know? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I, and I, I think it felt that way all, all the way through, especially with the, um, with the sets as we were talking about, but what I really enjoyed in that aspect and it, it did feel theatery but it was so well lit all the way through for a movie that was very dark it it was the the lighting was was very there which helped for me at least bring that theatricality up you know you can always see vincent price's face he's never shrouded in darkness you know even when the aesthetic is dark everything was really well lit which is something we don't see these days as much in horror movies it does get dark and grainy and i really appreciated that well, it's like in the you know black room when he was like laying down like his his demon or vampire self and just his, right. his face is lit. And then it's like, the, uh, yeah, and the, the and score. I, thought, and, I thought they did a really <laughs> good job of that because that's something that frustrates me in, in present day horror movies a lot is that I, if it's everything's just dark all the time, like I get it. We're seeing shadows running around, but it's not as that's an interesting there. point, Brandon. I, f- I feel yeah. that the reason that is is because, you know, if you make it dark, you can't see the shitty computer generated special effects <laughs> on everything. No, for sure. But but with this, they don't even try. Like, it's like, yeah, the blood looks kind of fake as shit. But like, that's not mm. the point. Like, the point <laughs> isn't to like a one to one realism. It's like. You know, this is a fucking fucked up masquerade and they're all dressed up in cool costumes and we're going to set this guy in a monkey suit on fire, guys. It's going to be lit. Like, it's just so, <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's like totally leaning into that aesthetic because it does. It has great costume design. Right. It's got great art direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, it would be a bummer to just have that all just like shrouded in darkness. You'd miss all of that. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah the cinematography. Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue, um, which was fucking crazy. I, yeah. I almost like I did a double take when I read that. And that's a great segue too. Yeah. Um so Roger Corman, who directed this, is I would say like kind of the godfather of of like indie film in America. Uh he's he directed mm-hmm. hundreds of movies. Like he would he would him and his production company churned out like dozens of movies almost every year. Like just like churning Jesus. them out. And the people who and I'm sure, Chad, that you you know all this already, too, and, and feel free to jump in whenever. But he had, like, you know how, like, when we have our, like, showcases, like, for school, like, to, it's like, hey, like, industry, here's, like, all of our, uh, here's all of our students. 
So, like, that wasn't always a thing. And Roger Corman would go to, like, film schools and headhunt, like, their best students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he got, mm-hmm. he started the careers of Coppola, Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. Jonathan Demme, James Cameron. Like, he started the careers of a bunch of actors like Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, Bruce Dern, Sylvester Stallone. Like, he was, like, he had such an yeah. eye and a nose for talent. Nicholas Rogue, who uh, did the cinematography for this, is a fucking amazing director. He did Walk About, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, don't look now. Mm-hmm. So it's just so crazy that like one guy had such an eye for talent and like and a mm-hmm. and a passion for cultivating mm-hmm. it that he started the mm-hmm. whole independent film movement mm-hmm. in America. And I and we owe a lot yeah. to him. And then he's still kicking. So he did he had a he had a quarantine film festival where he invited yeah. <laughs> people to make two two minute movies and yeah. That's he's crazy. awesome. That's a how old is he now? He's ninety four. Ah, uh, wow! Yeah, he's up there. And he does, but he doesn't give a fuck. He's still he's still making <laughs> shit like a carnosaur versus robot octopus. Like he's he's doing all. He just does it, yeah. and and he, and it's great. He's a really he's a really important figure in film. Hmm. Yeah, he's a legend. And I think a part of a part of his ability to constantly like make a profit is the fact that he, you know, spends very little on these films. <laughs> Uh, but makes yeah. every dollar count and, and you can see where that money goes. Mm-hmm. And then therefore like mm-hmm. it makes a lot of money because there's real quality happening on screen. I mean, even like Chad, exactly. Yeah. Even, even like Chad said before, I mean, they found a lot of those sets, right? Like, you know, they pulled them out of uh, the studio. So we're, you know, we're, we're talking about how impactful that was to the film and the art direction being amazing. Like they didn't, Seemingly didn't spend any money on that. They grabbed it from another movie. <laughs> so, like, that is just yeah. economically genius. Yeah, very resourceful. And <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. Uh, you know, that's that's intelligent. That's a great producer. Oh, yeah. I like... Um, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Brandon. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, we talk about the set and the color, right? It's very vivid. A lot of blues, greens. Like, my, my one of my favorite segments is the, is the yellow room to the purple room, or... Uh, what was it? Yellow, purple. Uh, oh shit! Where did it go? I wrote it down. Yeah, yellow, purple, white, black. Right, and black was where like Satan was or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and the black and the red was great. Did you? Now I didn't do this kind of research, but um, significance with that because it also gets brought back. I didn't know if like Chad or you know Caleb or anybody here had thought about because I was thought it was a very unique choice in terms of having those different because like the yellow room, you know. Uh, Prospero says, you know, he could, the guy could, left the prisoner left and he couldn't look at daffodils or daisies and, in, in the sun because he couldn't take yellow anymore and the, and the use of color. And so I didn't know if there was any significance to the purple. I know they talk a lot about, you know, Satan and death and lore and like God and religion and things like that throughout this entire movie, you know? Um, so I didn't know if you had any kind of fun tidbits from all your history stuff or kind of the reasoning behind, some of these, because they definitely were a choice. I'm just curious as to the actual reasoning behind, if, if any, at all, you know? Yeah, I haven't revisited the original poem, but I know the poem does walk through the colored room, so I don't know if that order is taken from the poem or if Corman did something different with that. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty... I The way that I understand it is that it, like, not necessarily... Uh, the right the same order but yeah that was a callback to the short story or the poem 
That's yeah, like all the different rooms of the castle were all those different colors. And then you see those colors again mm-hmm. at the very end with all the different shrouded figures was, right? um, coming out of the, the woods all of a sudden, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is very Seven uh, Seal as well. But that's supposed to be, yeah. you know, different versions of death, right? Like that's what I wanted well, to talk plagues, about that for sure. Yeah. Like, right, yeah. like the Black Plague, Yellow Fever, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm assuming. Okay. That's you definitely know? probably a huge part of it. Red Death, w- but I don't know what, the, I don't yeah. know what blue or, you know, the other gold character was. You know, I don't know. Like, um, and I feel a little bad not knowing. No, I mean, but- I think that's one of, I think that's one of the strengths of the film is that it doesn't spell it all out for you. It leaves things open to interpretation. How much is literal? How much is symbolic or delving into surrealism? But Chad, um, I'm a millennial. I need things, things handed like to me and explained. And I would like <laughs> for movies throughout the ages to do that for me. Thank you. But but I I, mean, I I I agree. Correct me if I'm wrong. But like at the you know I wasn't even sure exactly who, what kind of deity the red guy was throughout. You know, is he death? Is he Satan? And you're obviously not supposed to exactly know. They keep you on edge. You know that conversation comes up where he thinks he's you know, God or the devil, the right? He's like, you're the devil. He's like, I'm not the devil. <laughs> or like, wait, he's like, just uh-huh. like, no, 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 no. Well, I think you know? he references as like master, yeah. like his master. Right. And there's, you know, right. Yeah. You know, well, so, doesn't have a master. Just, so Vincent Price, uh, uh, not Vincent Price, the character, not him in real life. Uh, <laughs> Prospero <laughs> was, is a Satanist and he is under the impression right. that the shred, the red shrouded figure is Satan because, you know, mm. of, of course he would. And then when he he's like, wait, aren't you? And he's like, no, like <laughs> death has no master or whatever. So, yeah, I think he's supposed to be this abstract mm-hmm. like representation of the plague or just like a, right. of death. Because um, that's a big scene is at the end when Vincent Price realizes he miscalculated and spent his whole fucking life mm. being a Satanist and have it fucking backfire <laughs> in his face. Right? <laughs> oh, man, that would suck, you know? Oh, like, that would suck you think so you have bad, a plan dude. and then, you know. Yeah, and he would have gotten away for it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, my one of my favorite moments though was has to be like when the village, uh, when one of the another kind of aristocratic kind of guy comes and tries to seek refuge from the red plague, and he like is so desperate he willingly gives up his wife and just says, "You can do whatever you want with her, I swear." And she, her look of just like, bitch. Get out of here! Like, but then, yo, but Vincent, so yeah, sorry. Freddy, Vincent Price it. goes, "I, I already have." Yeah. <laughs> oh, you fool! I already have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, all right. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, it's fucking, it's yeah. fucking nuts. It, exactly what you're saying, uh, Chad. It's, it is kind of campy, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Like he's he he yeah. enjoys being yeah. theatrical, like as an actor, and he yeah. brings that to every character mm-hmm. he plays. And, and that's I, a great and, and way with, to describe mm-hmm. it. And with. Prospero, that kind of savoring it is is what elevates that character. You know, it makes it enjoyable to watch, even though it is so creepy and he's so good at it. And it is like the lines and the things that he's doing is such a level of creepiness and you know that mm-hmm. weird power dynamic that we're especially aware of these days. It is very well. It's like his like uh, I forget the guy's name who dressed up as the ape dies. And mm. Hop Toad mm. like <laughs> runs away and he's like, 
Ah, uh, give him some more gold for his little jest. It was funny. Clean this up. They don't want to dance through this mess, and it's, it's just, just like, a wow. prank, bro. <laughs> it's just a prank. Uh, he he was phenomenal, by the way. The dwarf, the guy who played Hobtoad. Mm. Yeah, he was unbelievable. His uh, animal work when he's showing the other guy the gorilla stuff and that whole monologue, I like yeah. noted that while watching. It was so well done. And him and Esmeralda is pulled from a different story, correct? Did I read that? Right. Yeah, like there's called, some it's called Hop Frog. Yeah. It's like another smaller oh, story really? that he that was like how he wove that subplot in. Because like the original mm. thing, like like uh Chad was saying, it's a poem. So like when you're building a screenplay out of it, it's yeah. like, oh fuck, we got some extra pages to fill here. <laughs> <laughs> how are we gonna do that? Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought it worked. Like really a well. one-to-one uh transfer. You can't no, have you know, a, somehow the mediums. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, I know. It's crazy. Uh but I thought I thought that the the decisions he made worked well. I thought it I thought it it fit oh, yeah. in that world. I was a little thrown off mm-hmm. because I feel like, and and this might have just been me, but I felt like the his partner was wasn't an actual dwarf. It looked like just a little girl. No, and, it's, it was a little girl with a voiceover. But they were talking yeah. about her as if she was an adult and like yeah, talking no, about was, like having I, sex I with her. I made that note too. No, I was that like, was what me. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's it's hard because we have to like it's hard like we talk about this a lot in our our movie podcast stuff. Is that it's it's hard to look at something eighty you know seventy years ago and not or like sixty years ago and not like through the lens of twenty twenty and so like in sixty four sixty three like that's what they had to do if they couldn't find a dwarf female to play Esmeralda who's a dancer you get a, a child and you dub her you know dub her voice, dub her voice or whatever with an older woman grab any little girl off the street and then <laughs> but it's just it's it, it was it was a little off-putting yeah, right, for me said. well no i think it's supposed to be off-putting yeah. I, I don't think that they like the well, yeah, the character is a sleaze the guy who's like wanting to corrupt yeah. her like he's an he's a bad guy i don't think but that the still, filmmakers like you know, took advantage yeah. of an actual yeah. kid like she doesn't do anything bad no, on screen or anything no, you know, no, well, no, no she yeah, knocks yeah. over his wine that's and then they and fucking then... smack her <laughs> but then he like you know fucks that guy up and then that guy gets uh, lit on fire in a gorilla yeah. costume later. So, yeah. all so eats, he gets uh, his, yeah, he gets his too. <laughs> he right. gets his comeuppance, yeah. Which, now that I'm thinking yes. about it, is why <laughs> the dwarf fucked with him. I didn't even connect those dots when I saw it, but he was probably like, oh, like, fuck you. Yeah, the very, dwarf very, definitely uh, knew. Very uh, yeah. Tyrion Lannister, like, I have to use my mind instead of a sword to, yeah. to, oh, yeah. to, to get revenge on people. And then he just bounced. Mm-hmm. But I think that being happened. said, I think that's that's that creativity or that's the kind of, when you don't have the technology we have now... You know, mm. it's you gotta you gotta do with what you gotta you gotta oh, do with yeah. what make do with what you have. <laughs> you gotta you know? be careful though. Gotta be careful. Netflix is getting yeah. sued for that. Uh, like they're getting criminally charged in some state in the states for that movie they put out yeah. about kids. Well, I think that's dumb, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different conversation. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to talk about it. I want to ask you, but like, I don't know what what this is. So. Um, some I haven't seen it, but there's some movie called Cuties that I guess is supposed to be like super, 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 super inappropriate and like uh, I don't know. But they're getting criminally charged for it for like it being indecent. Oh wow! So what happened? Well, well, oh, sorry, Chad. Do you do you want to step in? It looked like you did. Oh, I was just gonna. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say the the problem was the marketing yeah. for the film because the film is actually denouncing that okay. the sort of sexualizing of of young women, but. The marketing for the film, what Netflix chose to do with their Netflix version of the poster was really unfortunate and actually did what the film was speaking out against. Yeah. Oh, so people are reacting to uh, just what they see and they haven't actually like looked into the well, context of it? A lot of, a lot of, of people or? haven't. A lot of people who are decrying the film haven't seen it. 
the film is uh, a French film that was made by a black woman, a black French woman, uh, based on her own experiences of being, you know, sexualized and exploited as a child. Uh, so the film has graphic imagery and like is like designed to kind of like bring attention to the fact that we're doing this as a culture it's a young women across the globe um but you know people don't think about that and they don't see that they just see what they're being shown on screen mm-hmm. which is like young girls dressed provocatively twerking all that stuff uh which like mm-hmm. is definitely not good but it's designed to kind of elicit a reaction and right, if it, from everything if it, that we understand about from the director's mouth and the producers and everybody who worked on that film, every young actress was safe and there was a child psychologist on set. Everything was handled the way that you're like the way to do that. And I personally think that it's a little kind of hypocritical given that we're a country that has child beauty pageants and uh, leaves, you know, their children to be raised on shit like TikTok and YouTube um, you know, I think people go and attack art before they attack like the actual systemic problems yeah. that are creating why the, the why the, the art is place. actually being made. Like yeah. why? And yeah. if you don't watch a movie, you don't get to have an opinion about it. And also, <laughs> just because a character doesn't turn to the camera like an episode of fucking Blues Clues to tell you what you're watching is wrong, that doesn't mean <laughs> that doesn't mean the movie is a commercial for that thing. Like, there's films that depict, like, child torture and murder and death, and nobody has anything to say. It's it's just fucking completely wrong, and I think that people are, like, just... It's, it's just fake outrage, and it's, like, Twitter activism, and there's no way that a lawsuit will have any weight in court. And that was... Yeah, yeah. I also don't know what state it is, but it, I don't think it's one it's of the... It's probably a state ones. that has child <laughs> beauty pageants. So, you know, I don't know. I'm going to ballpark and say somewhere around Mississippi or Alabama or something. Uh, Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that. So uh, going back to our. (laughs) our, Sorry, I just wanted to go on. that. No, please. I mean, I think I mean, some of these these conversations are very important for sure. Yeah. Um, But like, I think it's it's interesting because you have Prospero essentially taking his concubine or taking that. um what's her in her name from the village to like live in the castle as like his mm-hmm. special guest, oh, you know, Francesca, Francesca. Francesca. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think I find it interesting that she's like, I also love that the dad just was there. Like the dad really didn't serve <laughs> he had, like four anything. lines. Then he fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just he tried. Yeah, he yeah, no, he absolutely. And like the whole poison knife scene was great. Even though I th- I'm pretty sure the poison knife was a different color, so they knew not to grab it um, for the sake of the oh, story. Is that what was? I'm I I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I was like, why are we just cutting ourselves in this scene? They were poison. It was a game. Knives. No, it no, was no it was a, it was a Russian it. roulette thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. I that went right over. Yeah, my it was head. it was explained kind of poorly. <laughs> but you know, but I, I find that like her. Uh, um, Francesca's like journey from like the defiant, like I'm a religious person, you know, and he's like, if you're a religious person, then take off the, you know, crucifix or whatever. And then, you know, then her like being numb after like seeing everything that she's been seeing and that kind of an arc too. But there was definitely those moments at the beginning of like, like what we said, like that old Hollywood, that classic, like, no, not the men, not the two guys in my life. And he like pushes Mm -hmm. her away and she's like, ah, you know, I I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, speaking of that, I, I thought what I found was most interesting was that plot line of the movie was Francesca's 
very, I thought, quick switch from, you know, wholeheartedly believing in God and, you know, Prospero gets in her head. There's that switch that happens. And I thought that was kind of the point of the movie, that it's that easy for him to move somebody who was on, you know, the farthest side of this side over to his side like that. You know, kind of showing that it, it at that time in this story, it's all kind of nonsense, you know? Well, they say it's so. like it's like that. It, it's the age old argument be, between religion and kind of like mm. life is the people who are like, no, what controls the world is war, death, like people, you know? But she's like, what about hope and love and good things? And it's like, yeah, cool. But that doesn't get things done, you know? And, <laughs> and it's that level of. You know, I, I bastardized the argument, but it's still, it's in the general vague sense, you know, like, no, just like how you said that, but what's, but what's interesting is the people who actually survive at the end and what all of those characters sort of their trajectories and the things that they did or didn't stand for. Um, there's so many interesting themes that come up in the film that I feel like are relevant to today. I mean, certainly the pandemic, but um, just the, the moral compass of the characters and the whole idea that man creates his own death and mm-hmm. um, that we're a pro- product of um, either our circumstances, our beliefs, um, what we choose to do in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, you know, I had a, I was helping my brother uh, with a, a Facebook rant a while back and it was with a, a girl he went to school with back in, in Iowa. And her argument is, you know, if you're healthy, you don't have to wear a mask. And she's contributing to herd immunity. And she doesn't need to, like, don't tell me what to do, you know. And then I'm, we're just like, yeah, well, okay. But then you're going to get people sick, you know. Yeah, uh, okay, but you're a piece of shit. So <laughs> it's just, it's one of the, it's those things where, like, yeah, I mean, you could, you have your choice. You have your beliefs and stuff and, you know, whatever have you. But when it comes to... You know, like the Prospero burns the the village. He's like, the the late old lady dies and then burns the village and takes. You know, um, I always want to say Esmeralda, but it's not Esmeralda. Francesca. <laughs> um, I just like Esmeralda as a name. Well, Esmeralda yeah. is the the is the is the wolf, dancer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's actually um, just a kid. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people and yeah, you can take either way. And I think movies like this are great because they are that kind of like, what do you take away from this? You know, and you can have differing opinions about it and have a discussion about it and still be okay. You know Um, what, Chad, I'm curious to know, because I saw a couple of things. Were there a lot of other things that I might have missed references to other because you said this was the uh, the seventh Poe movie in the cycle? Because I did Mm -hmm. notice the clock, the pit and the pendulum, the axe that was in the background. Mm -hmm. Um Hop Toad, you know, was from uh, Hop Frog or whatever. The Esmeralda characters, those characters, was the was the 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 ape costume. Was that supposed to be like a ploy on like the orangutan, like the great ape thing? <laughs> like, am I being st- oh. stupid right now? Like, was wasn't that an Edgar Allan Poe uh, short story about an orangutan and the window detective? Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah, that is Poe, and that's kind of the first like detective story. Um, I can't remember. And then the, the woman was killed now. by a raven. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a lot of, that was a great mm, death scene, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh, so good. So I didn't <laughs> yeah. know if there was anything that you picked up that, you know, other references and stuff that, that I might have missed. Super fucked her up. She was all like, yes, I'm a servant of Satan now. And then a bird just came up and was like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you ain't shit. 
<laughs> Murders in the Rue Morgue, or I think that's the post story about the orangutan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that they're necessarily references to the other post stories, but they're certainly this theme with time and there's certain sort of gothic mm-hmm. tropes that are all in there um, that I think carry over to all of the other films. And um, yeah, maybe they were specific nods. I don't know. I don't know too much of Poe, honestly. Uh, I know the Raven and is he also the cask of Amontillado or Amontillado? Is that him as well? You know, that one where he like, yeah. he gets yes. the guy drunk and like paves mm-hmm. a wall <laughs> in front of him to like keep him, there forever yeah yeah which actually i believe they use parts of that story for either pit and the pendulum mm-hmm. or possibly haunted palace um but yeah all of these all of these films are actually taken from these short stories from poe mm-hmm. and then really fleshed out which is kind of nice because oh no it's, a, it's our very own horror story, one by one. We're all going to get picked off. <laughs> oh, God. If anything happens to me, I, I love you guys. He's <laughs> back. Dude, I'm, are, you, are you good? I don't remember what I was saying. I was just, I kept talking and I was like, why is my phone black? <laughs> it's, it's a bummer because you were like mid-thought and I could tell it was going to be like, I was, we were all on the hook. We were waiting. There was a good minute to pause. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's really creating a dramatic pause for this. Yeah, Pinter <laughs> pause if I ever saw one. Like, that's a hell of a beat. <laughs> yeah, Chad's really milking this beat. <laughs> Speaking of beats that lasted a little bit too long, um, the the ending for me, I would say the the one thing I kind of was like, especially towards the end, was when he was running from himself in the red the red cloaked figure and all the hands yeah. in the screen. He's mm. like, no, and nah. I wish I was on video. Cause I like the hand movement he was doing was great. And then I was a little confused as to like, if they all just died at the same time, or did he have the control to like lay them down that I don't know, but I, I felt like he could have, they could have done well with taking mm-hmm. away one pass mm-hmm. of the room. You know what I mean? Like just do a couple and then mm-hmm. have them because I could, I can't help, but like, be taken out of something like that as a director or as like a, a person who like wants things to be more naturalistic, you know? Um, same thing with him running after the guy in the red, the red uh, cloak and he has to stop and say, hold on, wait a minute and then go again. You know, it's like things like that, mm-hmm. that were a little eh for me, but it doesn't take away at all from the effect. Of the yeah. Movie, it gets you know? very you know? stylistic at times. What it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Which for me, when I'm watching it, I just kind of I'm able to chalk that up to just being a part of the times. Yeah, 100 you know? percent. Yep. So it's like and, and it's kind of that same thing that we we end up going back to a lot when we're watching older movies and, and talking about all this podcast where, you know, again, this is something that, you know, it's Roger Corman. It was obviously hugely influential, influential to people. So a lot of the stuff we've seen be taken from it you know it's the kind of same conversation we had with the shining where it was like i've seen that shot mm-hmm. so many times but this is where it's from originally yeah. so you got to appreciate it you yeah, know yeah, exactly my favorite sequence was juliana's acid trip right uh, well Satan I'm... ritual uh carmen <laughs> throws that stuff in yeah every i'm curious once in a while. to hear everyone's <laughs> thoughts on that and what they took away from that 
I thought it was great. I thought it was. Oh, I loved it. I thought it. it was like. I mean, you have to imagine in the time period that this story is set, when like this idea of like God and religion is so has so much more weight than I think it does today overall in like global culture. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of like giving yourself over to Satan for eternity is that's intense. And this woman is, is choosing to do that. And I, you know, however you want to interpret the cause of these visions, I, I mean, it's really terrifying, like from placing like in your mind of like this character, like these visions mm. that she's seeing from across like time and space, it seems like yeah. uh, uh, going through this like internal, like mental rabbit hole of fear and terror. And then to come out the other side, like, ah, uh, yes, I am a mistress of Satan. I, I thought it was like really entertaining and effective. Well, and if, mm. if uh, Miss Space, Miss, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you have the flashes of all the different kind of deities mm-hmm. or different kind of like cultures, right? Is that is that what I'm supposed to take away from the different figures that she saw? I think so. Yeah. Um, throughout, yeah. So it was just kind of like, but then you have the the nice filter on it and the wave, the wave, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the and then like the close up on the face and the screaming look, and it just it's you know with no sound, you know. I think that's. That's when we, when I talk about, you know, straight off the page and the craft of filmmaking, it's very, you know, it's all those classic techniques you use to, to have effects, you know, in your movie, you know, although some, mm. some, there are some scenes that felt that looks like I could imagine the director saying action because there was like no movement before, especially when she's getting thrown <laughs> into the bathtub. It's like it cuts to the scene and there's like a split second where they're standing still and then being forced and so yeah, just kind of I, things I like actually, that because whatever footage they had in the the, the film that they had right. they spliced it together in a way you know it's so but it's i i appreciate it 100 percent of the time you know so all the time i guess 100 percent of the time 99.9 percent of the time every time what about what about you chad what did you what do you make yeah of, i'm of curious <laughs> i don't know what if there are any films prior to the post series that some of these things are drawn from, but that whole idea of that sort of psychedelic sequence with different colors and like Josh was saying, open mouths with no screams and um, that appears, I know in fall of the house of Usher and I think some of the others as well um, in the terror, which is a, not an Edgar Allan Poe film, but also directed, I believe by Corman um, and is a very Gothic tale of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of experience so i'd be interested to see what the root of that is but it's a really interesting style choice yeah well i mean you know you got to keep in mind like lsd is starting to become a thing um in the culture and so uh, just an anecdote that i love about roger corman uh so obviously like this came out in 64 and his film the trip which is about like lsd and people who take it would, would not come out for another three years. But when he was making that movie, uh, he was like, well, I can't very well make a film about LSD if I don't know what it feels <laughs> like to be under LSD. So he just like did a bunch of acid. And then, and, and then like, that was like, it's just like <laughs> a fucking funny guy. But yeah, I imagine that like, um, he's, <sighs> if you go back through his filmography, he's always kind of been like throwing visually mm. experimental mm-hmm. sequences in like that. I can't speak for like the timeline or, or like or mm-hmm. where the genesis of it was, but he seemed like he was always interested in 
kind of like bringing a character's internal psychology like yes externalize like what we see on the screen and i think that's yeah he does a lot of visually interesting things with the camera in this film to try to uh create that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's some good tracking shots yes i mean that's nicholas rogue too you got to imagine like Mm -hmm. getting him to be the cinematographer that's Mm -hmm. that's that's huge I, lo- I actually really liked Josh, um, the whole sequence of the masquerade, like how mm-hmm. it like weaves in and out mm-hmm. through all the people and you're watching him run around and he's doing like the Vincent Price, like, ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> well, that's going to take away from like the actual, like the dance itself, mm-hmm. the dance of the, the Red Death, like was beautiful and really cool and eerie and things like that when he was changing. I'm, I'm forever going to be using a fabric to cover the screen to then do a reveal, you know, yeah. <laughs> cut shots or whatever, but. That was a great that was a great um, technique to use. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I did you guys notice there was some sort of weird, I don't know, like fit not fishbowl is the wrong I think the wrong term for it. But there was a while watching the movie, like when they were panning, it almost looked like there was like a magnified kind of weird distortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a fish eye lens. Um, fish eye lens. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's it's tough because oh sorry, you go, Brandon. Oh no, it's just also it's part of those uh, the time the old lenses are very unique. So there's very specific lenses that they and it's not just like this type of lens. There's like actual lenses that were like being passed around at the time and like yeah, like this one has they all they were, you know, actual glass and blown and all of that. So they had their own unique things. Like for example, I just saw a post The Rock posted yesterday or 2 days ago. It was him on set for a new movie and they had like a tiny little red camera on a dolly and he was like that um that the lens on the front of that is the same lens that they used to shoot like ben-hur like that specific glass you know was like Um, that lens was you know it has a specific distortion and lighting flares and things like that so it's very much part of that kind mm -hmm. of the style and stuff at the time Oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. yeah I guess on. that makes sense that he would have to reuse specific right. equipment pieces. <laughs> yeah, keep that production cost yeah. down so you can make uh, a million yeah. movies a year. I get it, hundred percent. What else with that the unique look? You know, yeah, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. for sure. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Anything else, Chad? The uh, anything you have like burning inside <sighs> you? <laughs> uh, well, this is kind of <laughs> cool because Screen Rant. A few days ago, named Mask of the Red Death the perfect 2020 Halloween movie, um, which is cool. Ooh, yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> and then last year, <laughs> in 2019, um, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences chose the Mask of the Red Death for the Academy Film Archive. So it's kind of cool that it's um, being recognized later on. Yeah, and it, I mean, it just got like it mm-hmm. just got put on like Shutter. This definitely seems like a movie that like horror nerds have probably loved for like a while, mm-hmm. and now it's going to start to get like yeah. a, a bigger yeah. recognition. I, I like that. I like when older films kind of get a get like a, like this is something like Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome is going to do a great like Blu-ray restoration mm-hmm. of in a couple years, right. you know. And I mean, uh, it held up. It was entertaining, you know. Uh, it's a tight ninety, tight ninety minutes. It's a tight <laughs> ninety. I I also think there's something about it being, uh, you know, uh, Edgar Allan o- uh, Edgar Allan Poe poem, <laughs> where it's uh, it's inspiring in a way. You know, I know we were talking about adaptions last week, uh, or <laughs> yesterday, or whenever, whenever that was. Uh, we were talking about adaptions, and it was like. This is, a, you know, a different case of that, obviously. You know, when you're taking short stories and you're putting them into a different medium and things like that, I think that's a very happy medium to what we were talking about the other day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's inspiring. 
Yeah, so. it's a good thank you for, uh, yeah. for bringing it. Thanks to for having me, Chad. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Come back whenever you want, man. We're, we love having you. We love talking to you. We watch uh, everything. We watch classics. We watch stinkers. Like, so anytime, <laughs> anytime there's something going on. Uh, so you do, so, you know, we work on, uh, we both work on film review daily. What's like, what's like a movie that's come out this year that you've, that you've want more people mm, to see driveways, um, came out in May. Dude. I really want to watch driveways. I took class with Hannah and Paul, awesome. the writers. Um, and that looks like a fucking awesome movie, uh, but yeah, talk about it's it. It's just a, a beautiful, a beautiful film. Um, Brian Dennehy passed away recently and I think it's really his swan song. He has, I think another film that hasn't been released yet. But um, he is so good in it and has this monologue at the end that's just like one of those monologues that every actor wants to get. And it's a really quiet film, but has all of this space in it. And I just love the way it's shot and the story. It's basically this um, young son and his mom come to this house after his aunt has passed away and she was a hoarder. So there's this house of all of this stuff. And um, they're trying to clean out the house and get it ready for sale. And the boy um, ends up speaking with the neighbor across the driveway and forming a relationship with him. So it's a really interesting older man, younger mm-hmm. boy, father-son mentor relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the mom is played by Hong Chow, who's like blowing up. She was just like in Watchmen last year um she's yeah. she's fucking great too so oh, yeah. i haven't seen the film but i'm sure she gets everyone does as well so uh yeah, yeah i'm recommend. definitely gonna check it out man thank you yeah sounds awesome so what we uh chad we we rate our movies on a basis of five five stars if you you don't have to um yeah, do but it. i would love to <laughs> <laughs> if that's something we'd be into uh i'll go first and i'm gonna give it a four a solid four in terms of historical uh, relevance and craft and things like that. It was solid for sure. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three, you know, same, same type of thing. I definitely enjoyed it. Historic context. Fantastic. Inspirational with the being Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, yeah. I liked all the lighting and stuff. I just, you know, in the middle, in the middle for me, but yeah, I'll give it a three solid three. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm in between you guys. Uh, I think it's a 3.5 for me. I love a lot about it. Um, and it's definitely cool. And maybe if I watch it again, I'll like it more. But I, you know, like you were saying, chat, like Seventh Seal is only a couple years yeah. before. And it's Bergman. <laughs> you know, I, I can't not right. think about it. I can't right. not think about the comparisons. But this is definitely it's definitely in my, ha- my Spooktober rotation. I would put it in a similar <laughs> place too, 3.5 or 4. Um, it's, it's actually not my favorite in the series. The very first one, the fall of the house of ushers, probably my personal favorite. Um, cool. So you should check that one out too. Definitely, man. All right. Thank you so much. Where can awesome. we find you on the socials? If we, yeah, want? yes, well, I will clue you in on all things. Vincent price. You can find him at master of menace, which was his nickname. Um, and he's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can find me at Chad Knurk. 
And there's lots of things out there. If you're interested in learning more about Vincent Price, um, he literally did everything. He has a gourmet cookbook. He, um, <laughs> hell yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. He wrote a book <laughs> so about nice. American art. I mean, he, he was such a Renaissance man. So, um, right now wow. his daughter, Victoria is doing this really cool at home, at home with legends series where she's interviewing people like Roger Corman. She had him on recently. Um, so check that out. You can find it on Facebook, Instagram. Dude, thank you. Awesome. And like always, guys, we're at Freedom Affairs Podcast on Instagram, uh, YouTube, and you find us at uh, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts and more. Um, yeah. So thank you, Chad, personally for me. I love seeing you. Love hearing your voice. Uh, it's, again, been far too long. Yes. You know. Yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Come back anytime, seriously. Thank you for having yeah. me. Miss you, brother, and hopefully we uh, get you back on super soon. I love soon. it. All right, guys. All right. Stay safe with when you yes. go out and trick or treat. And uh, everybody have a great, awesome, spooky, scary holiday. Till next time. Bye. Bye.